The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is day four of our spring seven-day session. It's the 5th of September 2018 and we're going to continue to um, read from on and comment on uh, passages from Mud and Water, the Collected Teachings of Zen Master Basui, translated by Arthur Braverman. Um, passages entitled The Six Perfections Are Seeing One's Buddha Nature. Someone asked, the Buddhas and ancestors used so many methods and means in their teaching. How can there be nothing outside of seeing into your own nature as Buddhahood? Please elaborate on this. So, um, Basui was he really just had one teaching. Uh, we see this all, all through his instructions. Just see into your own Buddha nature, look directly, realize who and what it is who sees and hears and tastes and touches. So this questioner comes forward and says, well, there are all different kinds of methods and means in the Buddha Dharma. The Buddhas and ancestors have employed all these different um, teaching modes. How can there be nothing outside of seeing into your own nature as Buddhahood? We don't know um, what was behind this question, um, but possibly the questioner was was feeling like um, he or she needed something a little bit um, less uncompromising or accessible than just this teacher of teaching of wake up essentially so he says so she she or he says is there anything else This is, it's a good question. It's a good question to pose. Um, one of the um, one of the criticisms that's sometimes levelled at uh, the three pillars of Zen is its very strong emphasis on seeing into our true nature, Kensho. And this word Kensho literally means um, seeing the nature. question sometimes arises for people doesn't this this emphasis set people up for disappointment 
since not everyone experiences Kensho in this lifetime. And even if they do, it may not happen for years and years and years. We saw the example yesterday of Nangaku, who sat with this question that he got from Hui Nang for, for eight years, presented his, his uh, understanding and was rejected and sat for another eight years. These days, who has that sort of time? could understand this, this, this concern um, about setting people up for disappointment as, as uh, coming out of um, an attachment to equality. Of course, um, we are all equal in uh, our true nature, absolutely and utterly equal. And we, we are, each of us, expressions of that true nature, just as we are. But there's the other side, the, the flip side of the coin. On, on one side, equality. On the other side, diversity. We're equal and at the same time, each of us is, is different. We each have a different... Um, bundle of karma to work with. So it, it's we can't avoid the fact that, that um, n not everyone who comes to a center, Zen center, you could say, um, experiences can show in this lifetime. This can't be predicted. Who is going to and who isn't? We had the example yesterday of Angulimala, the serial killer. Seemed the most unlikely person to be liberated. And yet he was. There was a willingness there to let go of his old identity. Another example was Milarepa, mass murderer, who uh, became a, a great Vajrayana sage. So we just don't know. Yesterday or the day before, Vasui said, um, uh, one of the one of the kind of prerequisites is to like zazen. In other words, to like it and do it. That's a, that's essential. It's also it's also incredibly important to to understand the value of the process itself, that the process of um, inquiring, 
or, or sitting in shikantaza is proof, evidence of our awakened nature. Uh, somebody, somebody gave me um, a passage um, recently. I already used it, I think, in a in a in a Zendo talk. And this is from from Stephen Batchelor, and he's talking about koan work. He says, koan work is not merely a means, but actually partakes of the nature of the end. The practice of meditation is to allow mystery to shine through, to acquaint ourselves both slowly and abruptly with what is our origin and culmination. Meditation and mystery are inseparable. Let me read the second part of that again. The practice of meditation is to allow mystery to shine through, to acquaint ourselves both slowly and abruptly with what is our origin and culmination. What is our origin and culmination? In, in Azazen, we, we, ex, we repeatedly persistently uh, expose ourselves to the mystery, allow it to shine through. And this ability to do so, the ability to investigate our minds, is already Awakening. So, so, so understanding um, the 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 way in which the process itself contains uh, the culmination of the process. But in, in exploring and investigating this mystery, there has to be full involvement. And, and full involvement means full involvement in the question and the, and the, the longing to, to answer that question, to, to understand what this is or what mu is. We have to commit fully to it. And so that, in a sense, it, it, it works against our just valuing the process. Because if it's all process, then, then realizing the truth isn't important. But it is for us because we want to know the answer. We practice a koan because we don't know. So the, so the process is includes this, um, this element of, of um, dissatisfaction of, of um, 
an imbalance, you could say. Otherwise it would be a dead process. We have to be, we have to be willing to experience the, the discomfort of not knowing. And we can, we can perhaps fortify ourselves um, to, to bear this discomfort if we can understand that the question is in a profound way the answer. One of the one of the powerful aspects of koans is, and really of of all kinds of of um, meditation that has an investigative element to it, or an element of of just noticing what's going on. Um, but especially with koan work, it has this this power to um, uncover all our issues around self and other and we we are exposed to the contours of our our particular delusive take on reality our our karmic filters This this is very challenging. It's where um, having a sangha to sit with and and um, a teacher can be so helpful. Rumi said something quite similar to um, what Stephen Batchelor said. He said, from wherever spring arrives to heal the ground, from wherever searching rises in a human being, the looking itself is a trace of what we are looking for. We can really put our trust in this. Trust our ability to look, to search, to, to grope for the answer. Einstein once, when he was asked about his process, he said, um, I grope.
what this implies is going into the darkness. Trusting that we need to do that. It's not clear. We'd, we'd like it to be, but it involves this, this sense of facing the unknown. Facing our own unconsciousness. digression but back to our question someone asked the Buddhas and ancestors use so many methods and means in their teachings how can there be nothing but outside of seeing into your own nature as Buddhahood please elaborate on this Basui responded I became a monk in my later years never learning the sutras you tell me what the Dharma, what Dharma there is other than seeing into your own nature as Buddhahood. Questioner, according to the sutras, the world-honored one attained Buddhahood after mastering the six perfections. How can this be called seeing into your own nature? Um, the six perfections are the paramitas. And the master here, Basui, gets, gets the questioner to tell him. He says, what are, what are the six perfections? The questioner said, they are giving, dana, keeping the precepts, shila, patience, kshanti, effort, virya, meditation, dhyana, and wisdom, prajna. And then this person gives a little bit of uh, explanation, background. Giving one's possessions to all without discrimination is called dana. Keeping all the precepts strictly without exception is called shila. Treating animosity and kindness impartially, not getting angry when slandered or beaten, is called kshanti. Moving forward in the performance of good deeds without a break in one's journey and carrying out one's vow to completion is called virya. Sitting meditation is called dhyana. It means sitting in the correct posture in a quiet place and stilling the mind. Learning the sutras and teaching extensively and understanding completely the important aims of the Dharma without any hindrance is called prajna.
Basui responded, All of these bring you fortune for which you can, can secure a life in the world of humans or heavenly creatures. So he's talking about the um, realms of life in which one has some, some freedom and um, ability to practice the Dharma, we'd say. Um, especially the human realm is considered to be the ideal one for this. Performing these acts is commendable when compared to the acts of evil people, people with minds that covet, harm others, are immersed in hatred, are lazy, lack faith, are unstable in thought and action, and ignorant of the way. And his, the things that he lists here are all the opposite, opposites of what the, um, the parameters are and what they cultivate. So the parameters are in a sense antidotes to the things he mentions here. So antidote to coveting is dana or generosity. Um, the antidote to harming others are the precepts. The antidote to hatred is uh, kshanti, um, forbearance. Um, the antidote to antidote to a, a lack of of faith is. Um, right effort, virya, the antidote to being unstable in thought and action, uh, the antidote to that is meditation, dhyana, and the antidote to ignorance of the way is prajna, wisdom. So he says, performing these acts is commendable when compared to the acts of evil people who fall into the three evil paths. And the, the three evil paths, as we mentioned the other day, um, are the, the lower realms of existence where one is completely caught up in hatred and fear, in the case of the hell realm, craving and addiction for the hungry ghost realm, and ignorance and indifference for um, the animal realm. We're caught up in patterns, uh, instinctual patterns. But so he. he points out these, these, the, the value of the parameters, but then he says, but one cannot expect to attain Buddhahood from them. So, no matter how, how much we, we um, engage in them, we can't expect to attain Buddhahood from them. Why is that? Because um, Buddhahood doesn't come out of such things, such qualities, or, uh, but these qualities come out of Buddhahood. It's the other way around. He goes on. The six perfections that the Buddha practiced are themselves the right dharma of seeing one's Buddha nature. The true light of one's original nature lights up the 10,000 precious qualities and distributes this light equally in all directions to people in, in accord with their needs. This is called dana. He's talking here about, about um, a generosity that's like the sun. 
illuminating everything in all directions equally. Buddha nature is pure from the beginning, the master of the six sense organs, yet not stained by the six pollutants. The mind and body of one who realizes this will naturally be in harmony. He will not go out of his way to take the appearance of one keeping the precepts, nor will he generate evil thoughts. This is called shila. So the um, six sense organs are the, are the five ordinary senses and the intellect, and the six pollutants are um, the, the, what is experienced by those six sense organs. It can become pollutants, but he says here, this, this enlightened being isn't polluted by these sensory experiences. Rather, her mind and body is going to be in, in harmony, and that harmony will, will mean that the precepts will just come naturally. This is Sheila. Since the constancy of Buddha nature doesn't make any formal distinction between self and other, one in harmony with this will neither be angered when chastised nor rejoice when revered. This is Kshanti. There's no, there's no resentment when there's no um, attachment to self and other. Let's think of that the story of, of Ramana Maharshi. Um, his, his ashram at one point was, was robbed um, and his, his devotees were, were very upset and they said, let us go after the robbers and, and um, beat them. And Ramana Maharshi said, you know, shook his head and said, um, no, no, that would be like um, uh, punching oneself in the face when, when you bite your tongue. Buddha nature is, is originally possessed of considerable benefit it brings merit to its completion, developing myriads of dharmas. It passes into the future, having no limits. This is called virya, right effort. Buddha nature is unchanging, detached from all phenomena. It goes beyond sects, forsakes rules, doesn't distinguish between saints and ordinary people, and is not confined by words or coloured by values of good and bad. This is called dhyana. So let's go of all these ideas about things. Religious sects, rules, saints and ordinary people. It's, um, he's describing, really he's describing here non-duality. being completely united with things as they are. Buddha nature is clear in itself, lighting up 10,000 human qualities. 
It is the eyes of saints and ordinary people alike, lighting up the world like the sun and the moon. It is the light that sweeps across the past and present, the boundless truth of pure light. This is called prajna. So really, in, in this passage, what he's doing is, is showing how these six perfections come out of our true nature, rather than cause us to realize it. And it's very helpful to, to understand um, what the functioning of our true nature looks like. It looks like the perfections, six perfections. And these are seen as 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 indispensable ingredients on the in the way of the bodhisattva. So they're they're the ways in which we can allow our true nature to um, be be active, be manifesting in the world. They don't. They're not. They're not things that we acquire or put on like clothes. They don't come from outside us. And they're not a means to an end. They're, they're, um, we don't undertake them in order to awaken. Rather, they're, they're expressions of, 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 our, of the fact that we are already awake. But they, the, the other point that he is making here is that... Um, they will really come into their own and be able to have full expression um, if we can see that true nature directly, if we can access it. But one of the things we can, we can um, perhaps get hung up on um, is when we hear the, this this name six perfections, um, we can we can um, th we can think that we we are expected to to do all of this perfectly. Rather than than understanding that. Um, it's a way, it's a process, again, we come back to this term, that we, there are aspects of the way that we, we work to perfect, and at the same time, there are perfect expressions of our nature, even in our imperfect, uh, imperfect um, realizing of them. I think it's fair to say that um, a lot of us uh, get caught up in wanting to be perfect, and this is this is a big trap. Perfectionism, I think, is quite common, uh, quite a common affliction among those of us who take up spiritual practice. We, 
Don't we want to become Buddhas? Isn't that why we're here? And and it seems it's not just something that that um, afflicts Buddhists. Um, so there's a lot of of, um, of references to this inside. Um, for instance, in the in the uh, poetry of Rumi, came across a little fragment um, that addresses this. He says, um, "A tailor needs a torn garment to practice his expertise. The trunks of trees must be cut and cut again." so that they can be used for fine carpentry. Your doctor must have a broken leg to doctor. Your defects are the ways that glory gets manifested. Whoever sees clearly what is diseased in himself begins to gallop on the way. There is nothing worse than thinking you are well enough more than anything, self-complacency blocks the workmanship. So if we can, if we can overcome our, our fear of facing our imperfections, really, really acknowledging them, then something very healthy can come out of that. A healthy awareness of uh, our defects, rather than rather than shame over our shortcomings, um, we can begin to see what what other things that we need to work on. What what helps in the shift to this more healthy attitude is understanding that we. It's not that we are our defects, but that we have defects. They don't define us. And along with that, understanding that we, we are a process. We're, each of us is, is a work in progress. We could say we're all in recovery. It's a big, big step when we really can, to, can take to heart what, what Rumi says about our, our, de our defects being the ways that the glory gets manifested. It's right out of these places of discomfort and, and um, aversion, because we all often we feel a lot of shame and aversion around what, what our defects are, that that's, that's the source of our uh, unfolding, the source of life itself, really. Rumi um, says, don't turn your head and as you don't turn away, keep looking at the bandaged place. 
That is where the light enters you. Don't look away. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That is where the light enters you. It struck me reading this that um, Rumi got there before Leonard Cohen. Um, is the, the, the famous line from one of his songs, um, Anthem. Uh, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. When I, I um, was looking, looking this up, um, I saw the rest of the song, the rest of the lyrics from Anthem, and um, immediately thought, yeah, this guy's done a lot of sessions. He's done a lot of struggling on the mat. Um, and just like to read, not all of them, but uh, just a, f a few of the verses of this anthem. The birds they sang at the break of day start again. The birds they sang at the break of day start again. It's wonderful that each day of, of that dawn breaks for us, we can start again. Start again in the practice. Start again in life. After I just after I first got back to New Zealand, about two thousand and three, I think end of two thousand and three, um, I did a, a ten day vipassana course at at Kapa Kapa Dhamma Madini, and they have um, the recording of uh, Master Goenkaji giving the instructions on how to do the practice. It's a, a body scanning practice, and he would say over and over again in his instructions, start again. Start again. And really that's it. That's the whole of the instruction for this work that we're doing. Each moment, just to start again. To keep coming back to the breath this this body sitting here the koan keeping that beginner's mind no need for any past or any future in that the lyrics go on Again, they're talking about the, the um, what the birds were saying. The birds they sang at break of day start again. I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Yeah, the wars they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again. 
bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. So don't don't get caught up in what's happened, the past. It's gone. Don't fret about what's likely to happen. It hasn't happened yet. Then the birds say to, to him, Yes, the wars, they will be fought again. There are so many wars that we engage in in our minds. And we fight them over and over and over and over again. And we, we each of us have particular wars that we we that rage in us that um, hook us the most all different all different kinds of things wars about how we're seen wars about being um, useless or a failure, a lost cause. Uh, warring with our, our uh, sexual energy or addictiveness. And we can be addicted to all kinds of things can be addicted to our opinions, to being right. But these wars, we'd love, we'd love to be just fight them once and, and be done with them. But we fight them again and again, on and off the mat. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. When I first read this, I wondered about what this line meant. The dove is never free. Does it mean this dove is somehow in some kind of a cage? But then he's talking here about buying and selling. So perhaps he's pointing to the fact that this dove, if it's a dove of peace has a price that price is being willing to give up what disturbs us what 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 agitates what what binds what weighs us down and again, we don't just find peace once, but we lose it, and then we find it again, and then we lose it again, we find it again. The holy dove, she will be caught again. We could, if we can find that peace once, that holy dove, we can find her again. 
the birds go on. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. We can get so caught up in past and in future, in our battles that we fight, our afflictive, conflicting, in a energies. We can get all caught up in that or we can come back into the present and just ring the bells that still can ring. We can come back to the simplicity of the breath. We can question, we can place our question on whatever is arising. We can hear the tui. See the blue carpet. Smell the incense. Forget your perfect offering. We, we need to drop all our, our fantasies of, of perfection, of attainment, of, of arriving in a blaze of glory. Arriving where? Where is this place that we think we can arrive at? There is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. You can add up the parts, you won't have the sum. You can strike up the march, there is no drum. Every heart, every heart to love will come. But like a refugee, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, 
I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.